I'm Dr. Michelle Thaller, and this is Orbital Path, a show from PRX about the cosmos and our place in it. A couple of episodes ago, we discussed asteroids. They seem scary and exciting. And as we learned, they're interesting, but not in a wipe life off from the face of the Earth sort of way. They're interesting in more of a potentially the source of life on Earth kind of way. But this episode, we'll talk about the one thing that will definitely, 100% guaranteed, end all life on Earth forever. It's the sun. Yes, that same bright ball of joy that, with very few exceptions, fuels all life on our planet will one day destroy our home. But that is a long, long way in the future. As it turns out, the sun is actually capable of wreaking a lot of havoc in the present. There's even a whole group of scientists who are dedicated to studying how the sun affects the Earth. Who am I talking to? Who's this fabulous person in front of me? So, so I, my name is Alex Young. Uh, often I go by C. Alex Young, because that's my first name is Christopher. And uh, we're sitting here at Goddard Space Flight Center. I'm, um, I've been at Goddard since 2000. Alex is a heliophysicist. Heliophysics is a new field. Heliophysics is a made-up field. Not made up exactly. This is serious science, but the word heliophysics can be a little bit misleading. It's about a lot more than just the sun. It's about the sun, it's about a star, it's about magnetic fields, it's about the earth, it's about things that happen in our atmosphere, all rolled up into the field that we call heliophysics. Despite what Buzz Aldrin told British comedian Sasha Barra Cohen back in 2003, NASA scientists are planning a mission to send us, or a spacecraft at least, to the sun. Do you think man will ever walk on the sun? No. The sun is too hot. It is not a good place to go to. What happens if they went in winter when the sun is cold? The sun is not cold in the winter. Now, we're not going to the visible surface of the sun, but we're going within nine solar radiuses, which is about four million miles away from the, 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 the visible surface of the sun. Now that doesn't, that seems like, you know, not very close, but in fact, that's really, really close. We'll be going closer than any human object has ever gone to the sun, but more on that in a minute. The sun is the closest star to our planet. It's our star. So you would think that we would have it all figured out after staring at it for thousands of years. But really, we don't. Despite that, sometimes it seems like the sun gets, well, a little ignored. Studying the sun just doesn't sound as cool as searching for exoplanets or photographing far-off galaxies. Which is funny, because of all of the stuff out there in space, the sun is the thing that has real and potentially dramatic consequences. Right now, there are about 30 satellites sailing above our heads that are dedicated to monitoring and understanding the sun. We have the very obvious stereo two missions, um, but we have MMS, the Magnetospheric Multiscale Mission. There's four of those. We have things called Cluster and Themis and Artemis and Van Allen probes, which are studying these famous radiation belts around the Earth. There's two of them. 
But all of these satellites don't tell us what we would learn from a really close flyby. You can study a mountain from a distance, but if you're really there looking at the details in the rocks, you're going to see things and learn things that you would have missed until you actually went to the place itself. And that's the goal of a new mission called Solar Probe Plus, which will fly closer to the sun than we've ever been, and is slated to launch in 2018. There are huge technological challenges. The most obvious one is how do we keep from burning up at the sun? So the temperature at the outer corona is many millions of degrees, which in itself is one of the great challenges of solar physics called the coronal heating problem. So the surface of the sun is tens of thousands of degrees, um, which is still far hotter than anything we're used to on Earth. But as you move up, it actually gets warmer and warmer and warmer, which is completely contrary, counterintuitive to what we think of what we call thermal equilibrium. Here on Earth, we get higher up in a plane, it gets colder and colder. And so it is hot, but when we say it's really hot, what that means in this case is that particles are moving really, really fast. But in fact, the, the atmosphere there is very rarefied. It's actually, you, you, could, you could take a box and you could fill it with that, that solar atmosphere, that million degree atmosphere, and put your hand in it and you wouldn't feel a thing. Because the particles are so far apart that they're not actually hitting your hand to transfer the heat. Because heat, the only reason we feel heat is because the particles are transferring that energy to your hand. And if there's not enough particles there, you're not going to feel it. So in that sense, it's really, really hot, but you, we wouldn't really notice it. But the radiation, the light coming off the sun is unimaginably intense. And sometimes the sun flings an especially intense shot of these supercharged solar particles out into space. And if our planet happens to be in their path, strange things can happen. Way back in 1859, there was a British astronomer, Richard Carrington. One day... He noticed there was a giant sunspot that he saw through his telescope. And then he noticed a couple days later, there was aurora. You know, and magnetic fields around the, the world, we, have, we did have what's called a magnetometer measuring magnetic fields at different places, measuring the Earth's magnetic field, were going crazy. You know, they, they were paper tape with a little um, pin on them making a tracer, and these tracers were just going, all, going, going bonkers. And he made the association that, hey, something with the sunspot happened and something happened here at Earth. Turns out it was a huge solar storm. So there was a very large solar flare that came from the sunspot. But we now uh, have strong evidence that the sun produced several very large coronal mass ejections. A coronal mass ejection, or CME for short, is an amazingly dramatic explosion of material off the surface of the sun. This is mainly charged helium atoms, hydrogen atoms, actual gas that comes flying at the Earth. And this blob of billions of tons of material carries its own magnetic field with it. So when this arrives at the Earth, the two magnetic fields can interact, and that can cause some really spectacular things to happen. Now, a CME is often associated with something called a solar flare, but they're different. A solar flare is the intense burst of light, usually X-ray light, that happens when the sun's magnetic field really goes crazy and eventually sets off something like a CME. 
1859, Carrington saw the solar flare. And what he didn't realize is this thing was kicking off a titanic coronal mass ejection that was about to hit the Earth. We had this huge network of telegraphs around the world. And telegraphs are long wires. And when you have very long wires or any kind of long conductor, those electrical currents that are generated in the upper atmosphere can get picked up by those conductors. So all over the world, even when telegraphs were not connected to their battery sources, they were still operating. There were reports of aurora down to the equator, which is unheard of. It turns out the way the Earth's magnetic field is structured, aurora generally are at the poles, the North and South Pole. But the stronger the storm, the farther south they will go. I did read a story about cowboys in the west were out camping and they woke up thinking it was dawn, but it was really the you know middle of the night, but the aurora was so bright that they thought it was daylight. Now, heliophysicists estimate that a Carrington event happens only about once every 10,000 years. They're very rare. And it's important to emphasize that we're safe from these things on the surface of the Earth. They won't fry life on Earth. Particles are absorbed in our atmosphere. But when that much magnetic energy is dumped into the magnetic field of Earth, really dramatic, even disastrous things could happen. For one thing, it could shut down power grids all around the planet. It could damage our satellites. So imagine being without power or without the GPS satellites for an extended period of time. And the interesting thing is we're not very good at predicting these events yet. We can see very active regions on the sun and we know something's going on. But will we know when a really big event is about to happen? Well, right now, no. So these are some of the things we don't know enough about for the sun because we want to understand them well enough that someday maybe we can predict them because there's there's storms like storms here on earth we want to be able to look at the clouds and the rain and the temperatures and say oh there's a hurricane it's going to hit this coastline and it's going to be strong and it's going to do it on this time we want to be able to say the same things about these things coming off the sun so yes, these solar storms can wreak a lot of havoc on our lives. It's important for us to know how to predict them. There are some large-scale patterns we've become aware of. The sun's magnetic field actually flips the north and south poles change places about every 11 years. And right around when that happens, we call it solar maximum. There's a really big peak in the activity of the sun. Lots of flares, more coronal mass ejections. So we know some details. Interestingly enough, one of the things we do know is the sun seems to have been a lot more active in the past, the very distant past. We're talking billions of years ago. Carrington-like events might have been actually quite common. And this has some really intriguing implications. Heliophysics has been very interesting because it may be that these solar storms are, are important to the evolution of life. Though you may actually need them. They may even be part of the energy source that planets and atmospheres have used, you know, as they evolved through their history. So the sun may have played a role in triggering evolution, actually pushing it forward. And just like evolution's been going on now for billions of years, the sun as well hasn't stopped changing, and it will continue to change in the future with some pretty dramatic ramifications for life on Earth. The sun is going to evolve. It, it All stars evolve, and they change from uh, 
being a, a yellow star or a white star really, um, it will slowly start to swell uh, and it becomes what we call a red giant and it's going to eventually fill the whole inner solar system. Um, so I, I don't know. I've, I've heard different. I don't think we completely know what will happen, but um, either way, it's not going to be very comfortable here. So the common scientific wisdom is that when the sun becomes a red giant, it will expand and eventually swallow the Earth. There's actually something a little bit more short-term than that. We can, we can talk about this. So, you know, the, the idea that um, in about a couple hundred million years, oh, yeah. the sun will be so bright that it'll, it'll boil off our oceans. That's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I'm still jumping ahead. I still keep thinking <laughs> on these long terms. Yeah, that's the other thing is we really only have millions of years. I mean, I'm hoping we have warp drive by then or something so we can get out of here. The sun is a mass of incandescent gas, a gigantic nuclear furnace where hydrogen is built into helium at a temperature of millions of degrees. Yo-ho, it's hot. The sun is not a place where we could live. But here on Earth, there'd be no life without the light it gives. We this mission to the stars has been commanded by Justin O'Neill. Andrea Mustaine edits. John Barth and Genevieve Sponsler, co-pilot from the PRX Mothership. We are supported by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, enhancing public understanding of science, technology, and economic performance. More information at sloan.org. If you like this episode and want to hear more, check us out at orbital.prx.org or subscribe wherever you get podcasts. And I'm Dr. Michelle Thaller, a little bit of dead stardust, signing off for now. <laughs>